Well, happy Sunday, Sunday before the 4th of July. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you might have something paranormal or cryptid or anything like that going on, uh, give us a, shoot us an email and, and we'll make it a point to get out to you. It might take us a while because California is this huge state. There's big, wide open spaces, but uh, we can get you. It might take us a couple of days. And in that case, if it does take a couple of days, we have uh, mediums on staff who can phone you and talk to you about what's going on. And if, if it is paranormal in nature, they can sometimes calm it down until we get out there. For everybody that's listening on TikTok, I have to have an air conditioner on in here. It's just too hot. It's 108 today. And it's a through the wall. Or it's, a, it's a through the window air conditioner. So I don't know what the audio quality is going to be. I don't think it's going to be that bad. But, uh, yeah, okay, so, you know, there might be some some audio issues today. Also, for everybody on TikTok, uh, my, again, my name is Charlotte. We're going to be starting subscriptions up, and those subscriptions are going to be called the Boo Crew. That's B-O-O-O Crew. You're going to be my Boo Crew. Not only will you see this event, but you're going to see a lot of other stuff. Uh, Medium Karen Clark is going to start coming on here regularly with me to do readings, and we're going to be talking ghost stories and all kinds of things. And if you take a look through my content, you'll see that, I'm looking at different uh, different ghost videos. Um, I talk about my, my growing up as a psychic and different things like that. So I'm trying to be more regular here. And we do this every Sunday. This is one thing we do every Sunday is we read from a ghost-themed book. Sometimes the stories are true. Sometimes the stories aren't. In this case, this is a true story based on an actual paranormal investigation. Okay, And I do have permission from the author and the publisher to read the book. So there's no problem with copyright or anything like that. One thing I want to, you know, say is that if there's anything that sounds, it's really hot in here. If there's anything that sounds like offensive, um, don't troll, all right? You can, just, you can just leave. I mean, it's no biggie. If it's something you don't want to hear, then you don't have to listen. I mean, there's other people that want to hear it, so you can just go. You know, we, we are a PG-13 live, just to let you know, okay? And if you like what you see, here's where we go. Please tap that screen, double tap, double tap, double tap. Show me some love. I'm trying to build up my likes, all right? Also, now I'm going to direct over here now because I'm not only going out live to TikTok. Wow, it's really, I'm really hot right now. I want to do something I don't normally do because I'm hot. I'm going to remove my hat because I think the hat adds to my heat. So I'm just going to do that today because I'm really hot. I can honestly say I'm boiling. So I think I'm going to do it this way because I am just really, really hot. Um, you don't get to see my hair very often. Okay, anyway, um, if you're watching from Facebook and you haven't done so already and you like what you hear today, please be sure to hit that follow button. Also, I'm looking for the same thing that I said to the TikTok folks is I'm looking for hearts and, and smile, you know, hearts and smileys and things like that because for everybody, I'm talking YouTube, I'm talking Facebook, I'm talking TikTok, there's an algorithm. And the more hearts and hearts and things we get that are positive, the higher up they put us in the algorithm so so more people can see us. So if you could help me out with that today, if you like what you hear, that would be great. Same thing with YouTube. Also, if you haven't done so already and you like what you hear and you're watching from YouTube, please be sure to subscribe. I've got over 631 videos sitting at YouTube, and they're all different topics, not only paranormal because I am a journalist and a photojournalist. So they're not only paranormal, there are also other things like uh, shipwrecks and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I like to do different topics, okay? Ha, ah, this is weird not wearing my hat. I'm so used to wearing my hat. 
Okay. So anyway, uh, I'm ready to get going here. And uh, what we're going to be doing. Oh, yes, that's right. Thanks for reminding me. You can find us on Facebook under California Haunts and my name. You can find us on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, old or case. You can find us on TikTok under California Haunts. You can find us over at Twitter under California Haunts and Twitch at Cal Haunts. Okay? I may end up taking the headphones off because they're kind of squeezing me in today and I just don't feel comfortable because it's so hot. So that may come off. So I may just go solo with that. But you guys can still hear me over at uh, YouTube and everything. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And uh, let's get going. And we're going to read from a ghost. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to do that because uh, headphones make me hotter. I'll just put my hat back on. Hang on. I feel naked without my hat, guys. That's so much better. Okay. So we're going to go without the headphones. Eh? The only thing I hear through my headphones is me. <laughs> okay, so anyway, this is a ghost theme book. It's called The Visitants, and uh, it not only has ghosts, but it kind of has a, a UAP UFO connection in it as well. We're in chapter 39, of, uh, you know, and uh, hello, Jerry. And uh, so we're going to read for about an hour. Let's see where we end up with this book. It's a really good book. Again, I have permission from the author and the publisher to read this. I do have a live goal up there. I'm looking for some raccoons, if anybody... Uh, wants to uh, help me out with the raccoons, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. But what I would really appreciate is the fact that we're leaning over. Hang on. It's starting to lean over on me. Something moved. Hang on. Last thing I want to do is fall over. Um, <laughs> it's starting to go this way. Uh, is to help me out with, with hearts. Just, just just send me as many likes as you can. Just, just hit that like button and keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. All right. So we'll get on with this, and here we go. And if you like spooky stories, this is the place to be. Chapter 39, Earthquakes. Tom had 29 maps from his last count. Detailed maps of each region of the U.S. New England, Mid-Atlantic, Southern region, Florida, then the Midwestern areas, the Southwest, the Northwest, and finally California. Then the topographical maps, showing rivers, ridges, mountains, etc. It was maddening. With the vigor of a child in a toy store, Tom opened all of them, placed them all on a pile on the family room sofa. Tom looked out the sliding glass door onto the patio and the field beyond. The wood line was obscured by frost from the window, and he wiped, and he wiped at it with his shirt sleeve. A thin sheet of ice lined the stone floor of the patio, treacherous and keeping him a prisoner indoors. He watched a bird or two alight at the feeder, a titmouse and a cardinal, the latter's stark red plumage standing out the first whiteness of winter. For the next several months, Tom would delve into the patterns he found between earthquakes and UFO sightings. Little did he know that it would take three years for the final research in the book to be released. He pulled away from the sliding glass door, rechecking to make sure it was latched shut against the cold, and turned to the kitchen, which was his alone in the morning hours before Rita awakened. Tom reached for the first map, on the open pile and strategically placed it on the edge of the kitchen table. Working left to right, he finally had from west he finally had from the west coast to the east spread all over the table, covering the entire top. He backed away to survey his work and then glanced at the topographical maps, which sat in an open pile like a triple A map. Those showed undulations of the land as it dipped and crested into valleys, ridges, hills, canyons, and mountains. Here and there, the lakes, rivers, and other bodies of water broke patterns of land, and man-made cities poked the green surface with the hubris of civilization. Tom paused, 
standing on one leg, absorbed in thought. Then his reverie broke into a trot towards the door under the stairs as he headed for the basement. Dusty, but methodically piled on one side of the basement were odds and ends of paint cans, spray bottles, car oil, and the telltale things that were stored for emergency use. Flashlights, batteries, a car starter, insect sprays, a picnic cooler, and a tent full of mutiny. Tom eyed the area and approached the section which held picnic chairs and beach paraphernalia. Presto. There was, as he thought, a folding card table, six feet by four. He pulled it from its corner on the wall and proceeded up the steps. Halfway up, Tom paused, feeling a wave of heartburn. He touched his chest, wondering what it was that he had eaten earlier. Tom proceeded up, hefting the folded card table onto the kitchen floor at the top of the step. Again, he paused. This time, he realized he couldn't catch his breath. A tight band around his chest tightened. What's this for? I need a spot to spread out more maps. Where do we eat? Tom strode over to the formal dining room, barely used. That's for guests, you know. I know, which is why I thought I'd stay away and keep it neat. Rita walked into the cellar user room, much larger than the family room. She whirled around. I guess we can eat here. Change of pace. Sure. It won't take long before you get the kitchen table back, Tom added to reassure her. Rita watched as Tom opened the card table of vinyl white top of the vinyl white top in stark contrast to the oak wood of the kitchen table nearby. Tom knew it would make the kitchen appear more or less cluttered and not as cozy. He thought about his his own den, cramped with shelves, all types of books, and the tiny desk which contained his laptop and numerous souvenir mugs and pictures of Tim as a child. He wouldn't Whoa, we just lost TikTok. Hang on, guys. <laughs> Down you came. Sorry about that, guys. Let me get you back. Can anything else possibly go wrong today with TikTok? Okay. Wow, that was all off balance. Hang on. Get you back. Hang on one second. Let me get you on your laptop so you don't flip again. It's because I gotta do this at a weird angle, you guys. Dang it. This is one of those days that's just not happening in my life. Okay. All right. We're back. Okay. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Again, TikTok, if you like if you, if you like the book and you like everything about it, if you like to hear this book, tap that screen, tap that screen. Continue. That was fun, wasn't it, guys? The tiny desk which contained his laptop and numerous souvenir mugs and pictures of Tim as a child. You know what? i got to plug in, too, so hang on. Give me a second. Nothing's going right today. Line. I can't even see the hole. Okay. Otherwise, it's going to be out of juice. We'll, we'll have another problem we have to deal with. Uh, this is not going well today. Okay. Okay. Whoa, that was good right there, huh? Okay. Well, we'll quit while we're ahead. We'll have to watch that. <laughs> Sorry to drop you guys. It happens. I got limited space in here. Anyway, if you like what I'm reading, please be sure to hit tap that screen. Oh, where was I? The tiny disc which contained his laptop and numerous souvenir books and pictures of Tim as a child. He wouldn't be able to spread the maps up there, so this would have to do. Tom watched his wife of 41 years sit in the family room on her customary recliner in silence. 
She reached for a spool of yarn. She hummed as she crocheted. As she crocheted. Her deft fingers weaving a pattern so intricate and delicate, like a flower waiting to bloom. Tom studied his maps, pencil in hand, her humming soothing his nerves. He inhaled and checked his breathing. This time, he felt fine. A wave of whatever it was on the stairs had passed. Chapter 40. Shailene. The humming was still there. It kept me on edge that something else was about to happen. I couldn't sleep, as I was now waiting for the next shoe to fall, if there was one. I guess the small turnkey that bolted the door wasn't enough. It didn't look like it was broken, however. Maybe I forgot to turn it, pushing the door shut, but forgetting to lock it. I listened for sounds of more chanting in the loneliness of the trailer, waiting for more of the unexpected that was becoming the rule rather than the exception. But the humming, like an electrical wire on a high-tension fence, remained. I eyed the phone, glanced at the clock on the kitchen wall, and eyed the phone again. The last time I needed him, I called him and he didn't answer. I thought about venturing outside to see if they were still around. Those hooded things without faces. Then, I decided against it. Realizing I was lucky enough they left without hurting me and my un or my unborn child. I know I didn't dream it up. It was so sudden. They were, ju they were just there, standing, looking at me. What and why were they in the trailer? What could they want from me? A pregnant woman, alone in a double-wide trailer in the middle of nowhere, alone? We had nothing of value here that anyone would want. And before I knew it, I heard a car approach, idly. I peered out the living room window. Bob was home. I unlocked the door and stepped down and greeted him. I'm so glad you're home. Well, it's seven, don't I always? Was he nervous about the baby coming? I began to pull, pull away, mindful of his mood. How was your shift? Boring as ever. I'm sorry to hear that. I am too. Would you like something to eat before you get some sleep? Well, first we should go inside. I led the way, climbing up the two steps back to the house, and decided I would make a pot of coffee. The house was very silent. Then I realized that the humming had stopped. It's cold here, Bob remarked, as he took off his coat. I had the heater on in the bedroom. Well, take it out here before I freeze my butt off. Okay, right. Bob's growing disdain for his job seemed to come home seemed to come home with a negative mood that affected our home life. With the baby on the way, I became concerned about his moods, which began the night of the encounter where, we, where he ended up strangling me. I proceeded to bring the portable heater into the living room, where I found Bob looking out the window facing the woods. I wondered if he had been observing something. I had a very scary night, I offered. What did you do, look at the mirror? I laughed. I plugged in the heater and returned to the kitchen to turn on the coffee maker. Well, do I need to ask 20 questions? You mean what scared me? Yep. No, I was just thinking about what I saw. Saw where? In here. I woke up to some things standing in the hallway back there. I pointed, I pointed to the hallway outside the bedrooms. Bob scowled in response. Things? What things? There were these things, hooded. No... Someone broke into our trailer. Why didn't you call the police? I don't think they'd believe me. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Did they take anything? No. So was a window open? How did they get in? I paused, wondering where this conversation was headed. I've been pausing a lot lately, measuring my words. My stomach began to stir and it wasn't the baby. I've lied. I didn't call him at work. 
I found the I found the front door wide open, to be honest. He waved me away dismissively. I can't handle this. I'm too tired for this. I'm just trying to tell you what's happened here. I approached it, attempting to share my terrifying experience. I don't have time for this. Let's sit down and have some careless. You're making me more tired than I actually already am. What do you expect me to do? I'm heading out. Bob dashed out, the door clanging behind him. He headed into his car and screeched out of the driveway. I felt something bull inside me, like when I was a child and my father would walk past without talking to us directly. It was happening again. I know I shouldn't, but I did. I called Steve at work and left him a message. My little brother Steve, whom I protected when we were children, he would understand, as he lived through the nightmare, of that ceiling and what came out of it almost every night. Steve, now a grown man, called me right back and said he'd stop by as soon as he was done with work. He had been living in an apartment in town he shared with his girlfriend and had just visited our visited with our mother's brother, our Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim, who took care of our grandfather and their house where my mother and siblings grew up. Steve caught the tremor in my voice, the sense of disquiet that was so familiar during our childhood episodes of fear and flight cowering and taking cover from unseen enemies that seemed to have taken over our bedrooms and stolen our innocence was a common occurrence, the terrifying cornerstone of our childhood. Annie, the youngest, little Annie, now in high school and still living with our parents, would one day reveal to me a horror that would bring about a temporary rift between us. Annie didn't recall, thank goodness, the grim terror of of night when Steve and I lay in our room was dreading going to sleep because of what may wake us. Sometimes the memories of others, though shared, is a different version of the memory that broke our hearts. 41. 2017, 4.5 on the Richter scale. If you like what you hear, hit those like buttons, hit those like buttons, tap the screen, tap the screen, TikTok, tap the screen, excuse me, tap the screen. Tom darted from one map to another, carrying yellow stick-on papers as he went. He was placing the little reminder notes, the smallest size he could find, on the towns where sightings had been witnessed. It took several weeks to verify the exact longitude and latitude of each verifiable sighting after sighting report. His laptop sat on the kitchen counter by the refrigerator, plugged in and humming. Several websites of UFO reporting centers were open. Excuse me, I'm still sweating. Tom darted from the laptop to note to the next sighting. The date, the time, and weather. It's a map where he placed a sticky note, a thin pencil again writing in the date and time. Then he recorded it faithfully in a notebook. He did this exercise, going back and forth detailing and re-examining for accuracy each of the reported sightings. It took him several days, then weeks, then months. Meanwhile, as he attempted to push away the thoughts in his, in his mind of the experiencers and their horrific reports, he checked Facebook. The experiencers, still in the midst of encounters, stayed in touch. Tom saw the light of another message on Messenger and dreaded what could be happening or continuing to happen to his abductees. The reports continued to plague him. As he read them, he pondered the next steps. Who would believe them? What proof do they have when the evidence is with authorities? Who would come forward at the risk of losing their jobs and even their reputations? Feeling helpless to assist them, 
Tom closed the social site, sat down, and continued on the maps, working at a frenetic pace, immersed in the research of a large body of information. Tom doggedly kept after the recorded facts from several reporting websites. Months went by, and he found himself with map after map replete with bright yellow stickers. The laborious work rewarded him with the accuracy and with renewed vigor. Tom launched into the next set of steps, recording the sites he had marked with earthquakes that had occurred in the vicinity of the sightings, anything 4.5 on the Richter scale or higher. He would do the same thing, pin them with a different colored paper with a date and time. Then he would stand back and look at the pattern. A hypothesis. Unlike the documentaries, this was backed by proof. Proof. Winter thought in the spring. Tom had now completed his maps with a full picture of every earthquake in the continental U.S. and any accompanying sighting that had been reported by witnesses. After dinner one evening, he listlessly excused himself and approached the two tables where the maps lay like wallpaper on every inch covered by allergies of the two tables. Tom looked at every map from every angle. He knew Rita had been walking around him. The kitchen now wore a room of sorts. On initial inspection, hang on a minute, it's just a lot here. I'm overheated. On initial inspection, Tom could not see a correlation after placing all the pink, pink stickers near the yellow ones. Yellow for sightings, pink for earthquake incidents. His frustration grew into the night, and he decided he needed a break, a good sleep break, away from the maps. It was like another break, a serious, but perhaps not as emotionally taxing, and the reports from experiencers. As Tom said, he was seized with an idea. Other patterns. He would expand his search to include fault lines, rivers, and lakes. Mountain ranges, major magnetic anomalies, volcanoes, active and inactive, Mineral resources such as mines, sites where missing persons were reported, caves, and even reports of giants seen by witnesses. He made a list. I'm going to take that off. It is. Just, I just get overheated. The next morning, after another fitful night of sleep where he deliberated on patterns he may be missing, he decided he would include sightings of Bigfoot, underground military bases, nuclear plants, missile silos, ley lines, and the 37th parallel. Tom became obsessed. There had to be a correlation with the sightings, what was causing the visitations. One morning, later in 2017, as Tom worked to complete the nuclear plant sighting incidents on the panoply of maps spread all over the kitchen, he saw Rita walk by, placing a plate with eggs and toast near her laptop. I'll take it later. I need, I need to complete the part, this part. You haven't eaten since yesterday. Oh, it dawned on Dom that he had not eaten since yesterday. Our from Alessio's. Are you joining me for dinner? I will. That's great. Please have breakfast. It's already noon. Tom paused, feeling a sense of guilt for a project that took time away from family. He had unwittingly been so consumed by his project. He sat, took a fork, and proceeded to eat. Placing the dish on the kitchen sink, he strode to the dining room and watched Rita eat her lunch. That looks good, Tom remarked. It's a lunch you forgot about yesterday, his wife replied. She, she warmed to the theme. You haven't slept much either. 
I know I'm dead tired. Take a nap. I will. No, do it before dinner. I will. Tom walked back towards the kitchen, then his vision dimmed. He felt his chest caught in a vice-like grip. The familiarity of the previous episode in the basement coming back to his consciousness. He paused mid-stride as the pain escalated, his breath now coming in gas. Slowly, he tiptoed and reached for a chair. He sat. He breathed, trying to catch his breath like a horse at the races. He felt drained. The laptop on the kitchen counter dinged. Tom pulled his chair closer. A blinking light on one open website. Tom leaned over, clicking the window open. Facebook? Messenger? That was a message on the app. Tom clicked on the green light on the upper right of his mobile. It was Shailene. Look what they did to me, he read. Photos. She sent photos. As he opened each photo, his eyes widened in shock, gasped, speechless. She was waiting for a reply. Tom closed the messenger app. He turned from the counter and leaned, and, and leaned against it as he pondered, as he looked up at the grim sky of an approaching winter through the sliding door. His mobile on the table began to vibrate. He reached for it. Shailene's message. They followed me. 1976, Riverville, Connecticut. Shailene undid the green and white check curtains, pulling them almost frantically off the rods. The green and white cheerfulness of her little home was past. Bob welcomed the new infant, showering the child with gifts, taking him on the grass in small steps to match the child's baby steps, calming him in times of distress, cooing him and softly sheltering him in his protective arms. However, the domestic bliss that Shailene so craved after, after a tumultuous childhood of alienation and terror continued to elude her after several months of the trailer she called home. It seemed to Shailene that the collective effect of the creature who rode the hood of their car, the entity by the barn, and the hooded figures that made themselves known to her had somehow taken away whatever bond she had nurtured with Bob. Bob, who was formerly Salicious, respectful, and kind, was in a state of transformation. Shailene turned as Andy, the baby, now a toddler, began to cry. She had just put him down for a nap, but she noted that the time once again flew away from her in large gaps of lost memory. She wondered if she was aging faster than she thought, feeling the stress mount in the cramped quarters of the trailer, particularly when Bob returned from work and became argumentative. Unconsciously, Shailene was packing away a little at a time. She cleaned the soul closet in the kitchen, tossing and donating knickknacks, broken dishes, and Christmas ornaments that had no tree to hang on. After glancing at the green and white check curtains she had just taken down, she put them into the donation pile as they were now torn after Bob's last tantrum when he discovered she'd forgotten to get some beer with his dinner. With every object wrapped or donated, with every kitchen utensil she bagged or placed in a box, Shailene felt freer, as the act symbolically moved her closer to freedom. Freedom out of the double-wide trailer they had both spent hours deliberating on. After a day visiting with Steve and his fiancée, now engaged to be married, Shailene returned home with the baby, cooing to him as she took him out of the bassinet in the backseat of the car. Steve had been a support system for Shailene. Their bond in childhood, where she was the protector, now shifting to Steve as a protector to an older sister. 
Steve became a balancing force in Shailene's life, a brother who remained a good year and now an advocate. He counseled her to find a larger home where she could raise Andy, who sought the space of a child in the midst of, of discovery and play. A larger home, but a place away from whatever haunted the woods that violated the privacy of the trailer, and perhaps away from where residents of the nearby woods dwell. In the clarity of a discussion with a brother whose interests were protective, Shailene also realized that the space they needed was a larger home which allowed both her and Bob to walk away from each other once his dark moods took over. After what seemed like a lengthy discussion about her financial situation, Steve brought up the idea of Shailene moving into their grandparents' home where Uncle Jim lived alone, a house of multiple bedrooms and a large yard. Uncle Jim, now also growing old, would welcome the company of the family. Steve broached. The house had no mortgage, was in their family and in good condition. Shailene left the apartment without committing, knowing she had a first pitch to idea to Bob, who was growing more trelucent, and then to Uncle Jim, who was now used to living alone. Shailene had just finished preparing dinner when the familiar clang of the front door announced someone. It made her inwardly cringe that Bob forbade her to lock it during the afternoons when he felt he needed to enter a will and leave again, like a child bringing home classmates after school and running in for snacks. It infuriated Shailene, as Bob knew well after some explanation that she felt invaded by the hooded entities that visited the home. Bob had other ideas. Despite the growing tenacity in the relationship, left, let alone having a vulnerable wife and child living close to a forest, alone for most of the night when Bob had the night shift. You're looking past me again, Bob stated as he entered the door. No, just thinking. Shailene shut the door behind Bob and turned the lock. I'm starved. Great, I made roast chicken. Bob approached the small kitchen and sat on a stool by the short counter. Where's my beer? Shailene, in the act of the chicken, placed the plate down and opened the refrigerator. Andy, sitting on his high chair, began making sounds as he attempted to reach for his father. Bob stood, reached for the child, and deftly sat him on his lap. The child reached up and patted his father's face. Bob responded by nuzzling the child and playing with him. He reached for a toy, a small stuffed puppy, and offered it to Andy. You smell good, Andy, baby, Bob said, chuckling and kissing his son. Shailene watched, smiling. Perhaps it was as good a time as any to pitch moving out of the trailer into her grandfather's house. Shailene placed the plate of food in front of Bob and served herself, joining him on the opposite side of the counter. He placed the baby back in the high chair, now occupied with the stuffed toy. Bob watched his son munching and sipping his beer. <laughs> the way I read that, nah. Not the son. Bob watched his son, comma, munching and sipping his beer. That came out wrong, right? Sounds like the kid was munching and sipping his beer. He loves his stuffed toys, he remarked. He does. I think maybe we should give him a pet. Grew up with him. Shailene's eyes widened. They would need a fenced yard. I got an idea, Bob. Bob looked up from his food. Shoot, I've been thinking. Okay. You remember Uncle Jim? The bachelor who lives, who lives with your grandpa. Yes, but grandpa died a while back. I seem to remember. Yes, uh, we didn't know he had died until a few days later when Uncle Jim told us. Bob paused, still sarcastic. Nice uncle. Well, he's alone now in a big house. Well, what can I say? A house too big for him. 
He needs to rent rooms out. What if we did? But it's in my family. So I don't know if he'd charge. We rent the house? Yes, if he's willing. You don't like it here? I'm just planning for a growing family. Too small for you? Is that what you're saying? We don't really have space for Annie to grow here. Small inside, no yard outside. So when you mention the dog, that house would be perfect. Bob put his, put his fork down. Tension filled the room. I can ask. I can offer for us to stay free if we can help him out. He's old and alone. And sell this one? Bob's jaw worked. His eyes darkened. Addie's face crumpled as he read his parents' faces. Shailene stood, reached for his son, and cooed to him. Suddenly, Bob was next to her. With one swift movement, Shailene felt a fist on her jaw, almost hitting Andy. In shock, Shailene almost lost her hold on her son. She steadied herself and backed away. Her jaw flared in pain, her ears ringing with the impact. Andy howled. Now remember, if you guys on TikTok don't like what you're hearing, take off. This is a PG-13 area. PG-13. Don't touch him, Shailene warned, feeling her jaw locked as she tried to talk. Bob approached yelling, if this place isn't good enough, get out. He hit her again, this time almost hitting Annie's face. Shailene slid up, swiftly grabbed the knife from the counter. You get out. You wouldn't. Get out before I cut you. Shailene brandished the knife, holding the infant protectively with one arm. The door slammed. 2017. The door slammed. Tom awoke to night sounds though he knew it wouldn't be possible. It was the dead of winter in upstate New York, and all the windows were shut. He had finally fallen to sleep after a very late dinner, alone this time as Rita had tired of waiting for him and retired to her crochet by the living room fireplace. He found himself in bed. He was still in his street clothes. Slowly, he swung his legs off the bed and inhaled, pulling himself out of a restless slumber. The television was on downstairs, a show of some sort. Hand laughter. Tom slowly got up and spotted his pajamas in a nearby chair by the window. He strode over, looking out, grabbing his garments to prepare to change. Then he suddenly decided to walk down the steps. He bolted, leaving the clothes on the bed. He would do one more thing on the maps before he forgot. Shut off the laptop and check the messenger app to see if there was any more news from Shailene. I shouldn't, he thought. He was worn out with sleep, coming in short bursts, interrupted by thoughts of the abductees. He realized the, nightmare had not, the nightmares had not subsided, and they were interspersed by dreams, something or someone communicating with him. As he stepped out to the hallway, he felt a wave of nausea hit him. Then a tight bound on his back took hold as if in a vice-like grip. Tom gripped the banister on the top step as he attempted to walk down. He stepped down, another wave and dizziness. He paused, alarmed. It dawned on him he had missed another meal. Less sleep, less food, less of everything, he thought. Tom took a few more steps, then feeling different. He turned and decided to go to bed after all. Sleep. He needed sleep. 1977, Riverville, Connecticut. Again, you guys on TikTok, if you like what you hear, Please tap that screen. Please tap the screen. The puppy, a brown and white terrier, strutted and yipped. With vigor and energy, he leaped for the sofa. 
above where Annie sat as he rolled a new fire truck, a bright red Tonka on the braided rug. In the large living room with huge windows, Annie chuckled, his dimpled cheeks giving way with glee as the puppy licked his face. Shailene watched as her parents laughed at the dog's antics. Then the puppy leaned his back legs, leaned his back legs, and let go of a stream of urine on the sofa. Oh no, Shailene exclaimed. Millie, now older, dashed to the kitchen to retrieve a towel as Shailene's father, Colin, picked up the puppy and clapped a leash on the collar. Time to go out, Shailene's father announced to no one in particular. With that, he exited the front door, and the dog dutifully followed. A man in his sixties, wearing gabardine, pants too big for him, and a shirt with the New York Yankees logo, chuckled as he held the door. He followed Colin out, and the voices of the men faded as they went out to the side of the house. Millie returned, a white paper towel in her hands, and proceeded to wipe off the checkered sofa. Your grandfather would have been laughing, so much for his vintage furniture, Millie added. Better than hitting me, Shailene said. Millie looked up, studying her daughter as she dabbed the sofa. Andy hugged his grandmother's legs. He's trying to make peace by bringing you and Andy a puppy. Yeah, some peace offering. I'm glad Uncle Jim didn't mind the dog. Give it time. Uncle Jim doesn't like dogs? No. Bob, give him time. I did. His son needs his father. No, he doesn't. I won't let him touch the baby. As I said, give it time. I hope it didn't follow us here. Millie straightened. Who is it, Shailene? Silence. Whatever took over, it made him violent. Millie turned away and made for the kitchen. Shailene picked up Annie and went up the steps. At the top of the stairs, Shailene patted softly in her slippers on the wooden floor, entering a large bedroom with a bassinet and a crib. She placed Annie down, covering him with a blanket, and he began to sleep. She looked out the window, admiring the view. Something stirred behind her. She turned to find her mother standing at the doorway of the room. You need to make this work now that you have a son. I know, Mom. I don't plan on him hitting me. I didn't plan on him hitting me. What happened with you and him in that car was a long time ago. Get it out of your head. Mom, there's also the things I saw in the trailer. Stop. The things that happened to me and Annie in the stop. Bob drinks, doesn't he? He didn't before we encountered that thing. That thing. Millie glared at her daughter like she had lost her scruples. We have discussed this with his parents. The beans or his drinking? Both. They can't make him stop. No, they can't, but you can stop this nonsense. I can't stop these beans. I don't even know what they are. Well then, who can? 2017, Chapter 45, 2017, Tom. I awakened. It felt different. Something or someone was talking to me, but I could only remember snatches of conversation. Someone told me to tell her, my wife, something. Something very important. I felt the strangeness again in my chest, this time a band, very tight, that was strangling me. All around my chest, a vice-like grip like a band that someone was pulling, like a woman's corset was tightening on my chest. I struggled to breathe. The effect, or the effort, now taking over my entire body. I found myself gasping. I reached for Rita. She was lying next to me asleep. Yeah, I'm here. Here. She reached for my hand. I can't breathe. What? 
I, I felt like someone was pushing on my chest. Rita shot up and turned to the nightstand. The light flooded the room. She looked down at me. I must have been ashen. Quickly, she pulled me to a sitting position and examined me. Did you eat something that went bad? No, I ate what you ate. Silence. Ever felt that way before? Silence. Tell her. Actually, yes, I admitted. When? Tell her something important. Uh, about a month ago? You didn't tell me? No, it happened and then it passed. So this time it's worse. Well, the second time. The second time? How many? This is the third time. Rita stood and stepped away from the bed, grabbing the address book from the dresser. She whirled around, her face red and livid. You are going to call the doctor and we are going, she yelled. Yes, someone told me in a dream. No, you are not dreaming. You are going to call the doctor. I am. Don't you think I should know? She yelled. Yes, it's important you know. The next day, under my wife's watchful eyes, I called the doctor. We went that day, and she told me to tell him. Tell him. I turned to the doctor, dapper and well-pressed in his lab coat. It was starched so white as he studied me with a smile on his face that the coat hurt my eyes. I told him everything. That same night, I had a heart attack. I was so glad Rita lost her nerve finally. She stood her ground, and I'm alive. The dream was right. It was important for her to know. Chapter 46, 2017, Troy, New York. Who can stop you from doing this, Dad? Stop me? I have to find out the truth. You're worn out. You need to sleep. I will, once I get this book together. Dad, it's not just the book. The experiencers? Yes, I already have. You already have what? I've already stopped the interviews. Tim stood a few feet away in the sterile blue and white room. The plastic curtains parted to show another bed with a younger man asleep nearby. The steady beeping of a heart monitor announced to Tom he was in recovery in the hospital. A nurse arrived, pulling the curtains as, as she reached for Tom's oxygen line. Several IV lines were attached to him as he attempted to move. She opened her palm to give him a pill, handing him a paper cup of water. Please sit up slowly, she advised, one hand supporting Tom's arm as Tim supported his father's shoulder in the other. What's this? Tom inquired. It's to steady your heart. How do you feel? I feel tired and very groggy. Tom tried to sit up with a sudden sharp pain, like a wound pulled from his chest. He looked down to find out he had bandages around his chest. He looked up in surprise. He looked up in surprise. You had a bypass, Dad. The nurse nodded nonchalantly as Tom glanced from his son to the woman in her, in her starched white pants and top. The top, a short-sleeved surgical gown of sorts, had floating discs that reminded him of UFOs. Pink, blue, and green, and a sea of yellow cotton fabric. He looked on in disbelief as he finally swallowed the pill, sipping the water in the disposable cup she offered. He found himself studying the nurse's uniform in the sitting room. You're overtaxed. You need to rest, she counseled, propping his pillow as he examined her uniform. They're giving you some exercises to do after your recovery, Dad. Like a workout? Sort of. Some things to calm you down. What do you remember? Silence. I told your mother. Then we went 
Tom looked, Tim looked away and back. He might have made her heart attack the same night. The nurse paused, waiting for a reaction. How? How long have I been here? A few days. You need to take your time, Tim assured him, sitting on a chair by his elbow. You need to sleep and rest properly, the nurse added. Too much good food, I guess, Tom said, in resignation, live at large. No, too much stress. This research, you need to let it go. I think you're right. Yes, you do. The doctor is prescribing rehab before it gets... Tom surveyed the room, scrutinizing the portable table, then moved his hands around the bed, searching. What do you need, Dad? My cell phone. Did you bring it? No, Dad. You're getting too close to these accounts. I think it's bothering you like the last case that bothered me and the team. I'm only monitoring one at this point. She's alone and no one believes her. It's dangerous to your health, Dad. Tom sighed and leaned back, exasperated. He turned to look out the window, but a pain from the stitches reminded him it remained still. Your heart is not stable right now. You're being monitored. I know, but you have to let go of this research. Put it down for your health's sake, temporarily. Yes, until you recover. Yes. Mom needs you. Yes. They, I'm sure, will understand. Yes, they probably already know. A week later, Tom came home and gathered the maps, meticulously placing them in order. He secured them with a paperweight in one pile on the family room coffee table, mindful of the stitches that invaded his chest. Against his doctor's orders, he folded the card table and picked it up, carrying it down the steps and back to the basement. He felt this as his twin, a stark reminder to slow down, but he didn't want Rita to compensate for his condition by doing everything for him. Leaning down to place the folded table against the wall, Tom paused as he looked at the stairs. Slowly, he took and measured pauses to walk up the stairs so Rita wouldn't hear him. Halfway up, he checked his breathing. So far, so good. At the kitchen, Tom spotted a lazy Susan, a round affair that functioned like a turntable. Rita used it for spices, vinegar, and ketchup. It had now been replaced with his heart medicines, the vials clearly labeled. On the opposite side of the warm kitchen, his schedule was tacked out of the refrigerator. Doctor appointments, exercise routines, and a list of foods to avoid. He shut his eyes, overwhelmed. He would take a break from contacting the experiencers in order to recover. He would try his best not to check the messenger on Facebook app. That night, Tom reached for his cell phone on top of the bookcase near his son's paintings, shut it off, and handed it to Rita. Rita had her own cell phone for emergencies and would, drive and would drive with Tom to run errands until he was healthy enough to drive alone. When he was done with rehab, he walked the two miles he was required to do every day. He would get his laptop back. When he was comfortable enough to drive, he would get his cell phone back. He made a pact with Rita and she expected him to keep it. 1980, let me have a sip of water. 1980. Riverville, Connecticut. Okay. Moving right along. Are you comfortable enough to drive? Bob asked. I am. I've been driving the children while you were taking care of your parents, Shayla replied. She placed the baby back on the new pink car carrier, covering the infant in a pink blanket with a spray of magenta teddy bears. 
on a blanket's edge, embroidered in pink cursive, was her baby's name, Abigail. Bob followed Shailene as she hurried around the car to the driver's seat. I'm only asking you, as you were very distraught about the dog. Shailene looked up, a bruise on her cheek, poorly disguised by makeup, in her haste to leave. Of course, I'm distraught. She pulled the driver's door shut, but that doesn't mean I can't drive. I'm just making sure Abby is safe. Shailene stared ahead as the ignition engaged. She will be safe. I can drive. Bob backs away as she reverses the car out of the garage and onto the driveway. Bob approaches her window. What do you want me to do with Maxie? Bury him before Annie gets back from school. It's the best you can do. I didn't leave any antifreeze, I swear. I know you didn't. I already told you what happened. I don't believe you. That's just too crazy. I'm not crazy. Bob pulled away from the car, his face starting to bristle with frustration. Shailene noted his reaction, feeling a need to distance herself. Their differences of opinion tended to escalate to arguments. She backs the impala onto the driveway. Bob follows. There's no way some ghost or whatever you think it is now in, the, in this house could kick a dog dead. Shailene's eyes reddened on the verge of tears. They killed him. He was in the way of trying to protect me, and they kicked him in the kidneys. How do you know he wasn't poisoned? Did you see them kick him? Shailene looked straight ahead as Abigail began to fret, then cry from her jump seat. There isn't any antifreeze in the garage. Bob looked away perturbed. Check the floor when I go. I already did, she added. Give me the baby, he insisted, approaching the car. Shailene stepped on the gas, pulling away from the driveway. Bob punched the air in frustration and, dart, and, and darts back to the garage. Inside, he looks around, searching for a jug of antifreeze. Telltale spills of green or blue on the garage floor. The floor was dry, as Shailene indicated. Bob dashes around the side of the house to the backyard. On the ground lay the dog, now full-grown, a beautiful Airedale in brown and white. It was motionless. He hunched down, examining the dog's body as the wind ruffled the dog's fur. He reached and examined the fur, parting sections of it on the dog's torso. There, by the hind legs, he spotted a dark area. He leaned closer, parting the fur. Large spots and showing bruises on the skin were evident. There were dark red, they were dark red even in the daylight. He looked up at the sky and stood looking down pensive. He spots the shed at the corner of the yard by the fence. He strode to the shed and surveyed the area. Reaching for the padlock, he produces a key and opens the wooden door. Inside, he reaches for the rope and pulls. A naked bulb comes on. Bob studies the interior of the shed, his eyes holding in a large gallon jug with green fluid. He approaches, checking the lid. The jug had not been opened. A sheet of dust covers the jug. He moves it, showing the clean surface underneath. Chapter 48, 2018 the nightmare stopped, and with that, Tom slept uninterrupted. However, messages from beings that visited him in his sleep continued. One message was particularly singular in its vividness and clarity, and Tom wasn't sure it was during sleep. Tom was certain he was awake. He was. One bright afternoon, a spring heralded their yard with blooms. Tom stepped out to the patio and cleared the detritus from the winter. The brightness and joy of spring invigorated him. He pulled his cell phone from his jeans and checked it. Tom planned on continuing the book on earthquakes until its completion. 
he hoped he would be the recipient of another, another sighting on the eve of his latest book, which he entitled Earthquakes and UFOs. However, there was much to be done, and Tom spent the morning unraveling map after map and repositioning them again on the kitchen table and the card table adjacent to it, again harvested from the basement. This time, he, would, he waited patiently for Tim to bring it up from the basement. Tom paused as his eyes surveyed the yard and the tree line that marked the end of his property and began the woods beyond. He glanced at his watch to note that it was early afternoon. The hand at 140. He sat, now meditating, to still his mind and his heart, as he had been taught while he was in the heart rehab. Tom settles in on the Adirondack chair, placing his feet on the wooden footrest. He inhales, taking deep breaths to still his mind and clear his clear of worry. Worry and stress drags the heart, he'd been told. A bird chirps nearby, and then a blue jay swoops and alights on a branch, stirring Tom. The birds bring on a memory of a lake he visited with his parents in childhood. He looks on his mind at the lake's surface, glimmer. He focuses on the shimmering surface of the water, reciting a mantra in his head, in his head as he had been taught by the UFO group, and now by the rehab team for his heart. Calm. Calm. He visualized a clarity of the childhood memories when his parents encouraged his striving in sports, his studiousness, thoroughness at his every achievement. Then the fun of playing with carefree abandoned at the lake house, where they went every year, when school ended, calm. Tom finds himself somewhat bright. He raises somewhere bright. He raises his hand to shield his eyes from, from a scintillating sun and wonders where he is at. He's on his patio. Tom surmises he must be dreaming, for the forest he finds ahead of him is in full bloom with roses, lilacs, heather, and pink pony heavy with nectar. Spike lavender abuzz with bees and lily of the valley. They exude a lushness, an air of freshness, and a peaceful light, lightness akin love. It couldn't be the forest behind the house, Tom concluded. The forest, this forest was more of a pine, okay, that forest was more of a pine fir oak and local flora. The flowers were not local. Yet Tom felt at home and not by far, and not far is the sense he received. He was not far, and the place was utterly beautifully familiar. The sounds like a child who lullaby his mother used to sing on the border of wakefulness asleep. Tom would remember this episode like yesterday, a long soothing meditation that produced a non-dream, as he referred to it in a passage he wrote to one of his friends. I had a non-dream last night. Usually in a dream, you experience something like you just lived, lived it. This dream was a story that someone was explaining to me. And I was just listening. The person telling me this story was a UFO at the T, I think. And they told me their understanding of the message they received. In the not-too-distant future, there will be young adults who will literally take over the Earth. These young adults will be hybrid humans aliens and will, and will demonstrate an overwhelming intelligence. It will be immediately apparent that their jobs will be, will be to take over and lead us to the, to the final Earth. This was being explained to me as if my job in this, in this place was to ease the transition. I am now in the no, but I feel like I've been read, read into the plan. I have heard stories about this, 
but it has never been so clear. I always thought that this was some of the sci-fi imaginings. And then again, why me? This was the fourth dream in the past five years that stood out like something very special. Terrible sleep. Very fitful. I'm going to have a good nap later if I can get this out of my mind. 49. Let me double check, make sure you guys over here are hearing. Pop over to stream here again. There we go. Everybody good? Okay. All right, back to reading. As Shailene drove, visions of the previous night haunted her. She couldn't get it out of her mind. She glanced at the rearview mirror. She watched Abby sleep in the baby carrier in the rear seat. She glanced at the rearview mirror in time to see Bob walk back to the garage where she had left open for him. She was trying to get out of her mind the vision of, the, of their dog, Maxie, yelping and screaming outside the house the night before. Then the humming in her ears began again. She had let the dog in, locked the front and back doors, and prepared for bed. As she proceeded to the bedroom, the dog dashed in, barking furiously as if confronted by something she couldn't see by the foot of the bed. Then the dog stopped, sitting, watching. Suddenly it yelped and ran out of the room. Shailene was familiar with the awareness that an unmistakable sixth sense the animals had. She wondered if Maxie was seeing something return or something that had already followed her into her grandfather's house. Whatever it was, was present in the bedroom. She sensed eyes. She dashes for Abby's room, opened the door to peer. Abby was in her crib asleep, covered and protected from the window's chill. She dashed next door to Annie's room. She watched him sleep, the dreaming sleep of a child without care. Then, reassured all was well, despite the dog's reaction, she climbed into bed and slept. Later that night, she sensed Maxie re the room and leaped into the bed. Hours later, Shailene awakened to movement, the shaking of the bed. The dog was gone. Then, outside, a howl, a yelp. It was Maxie. She was outside. How did she get outside? The dog was screaming in agony, yelping like she had been hit. Shailene grabbed her robe, rechecked the baby, and found her awake. Then Andy was in the hallway. Wait here, Shailene told the child. Andy responded by running into the baby's room and shutting the door behind him. She rushed out the hall, down the steps, out the night air. Shailene searched for Maxie. The street was empty. She turned in the darkness to the side of the house. Maxie, Maxie. A light came on upstairs room next door. In the backyard was where Shailene discovered Maxie. As Maxie grew, he became a constant companion to Shailene and a playtime companion for Andy. When Andy began going to school, Maxie would escort the child to the bus curbside and then return to Shailene's side where he would sit and nap as she went about doing chores attending to Andy to Abby. For Shailene, it was helpful to know Maxie was there as he always signaled with a bark when someone approached the house, be it a mailman, milk delivery, or the paperboy. At night, still on swing shifts, Bob's space on the bed was occupied by Maxie, a warm comfort that guarded her. However, as the dog became more faithful and protective, Shailene sensed a different tone to the entity that was in the house. She wondered if it was because she herself was feeling strange again. The onset of a familiar loneliness that usually came in strange events began to occur. Events she could not explain and found powerless to prevent, but perhaps she was again a child. A third one, and the bloom of motherhood spiraled with it, another hormonal upheaval. Shailene hoped for the latter rather than the former. However, something within her knew. 
a resurgence of something negative and alien, which raised a red flag in her mind to the approach of a new invader, an invader that didn't want a dog to protect her or her, or her children. Things were spiraling into a different experience, an experience whose nature, whatever it was, was changing. One day soon after Maxie's death, as Shailene brushed her hair into a ponytail in front of the bathroom mirror, she felt something suddenly ache inside her nose, something like a sinus infection, she thought, was brewing. As Shailene reached for a Kleenex, she felt her nose move. She blew into the tissue. Nothing. There was something different about her face. Then she realized it. Something was moving within her sinuses. She touched her cheek and felt a protrusion underneath. Whatever it was, was moving. Chapter 50, 2019. Tom reviewed the photos from Shailene, but his, by his elbow, his laptop lay open to several websites with UFOs as a common sighting amid the welter of maps that littered and covered the entire kitchen. He was almost done with the book and had again turned his full attention to the abductees whose testimonials continued to plague him. He looked over the maps, now spread in disarray, reflecting and mounting his, okay, reflecting his value in frustration as he tried to make meaning out of the maps. He puzzled, taking his glasses off, placing them back on again. He could not discern a pattern. He muted the cell phone and placed it face down. Tom walked from one end of the kitchen to the other, viewing the maps from different angles. Every map from every angle from the stove, they appeared random. The stickies in pink and yellow, simply creating a random scatter on the surface. He checked from the family room to no avail. Meaningless. He checked from the sideboard, under chaos. He stood, turning his head this way and that, and sighed heavily with frustration. He would have to take a break. There was a pattern he perhaps couldn't see because he was trying too hard. His son's voice reverberated in his head. You're working too hard. You need to take a break. Unconsciously, Tom touched his chest. The stitches now totally healed, even though his psyche felt wounded. Tom turned away, studied his son's paintings on the corner wall, and lovingly touched the frames. He turned away and made his way across the room to the patio. He looked out the sliding glass door and finally sat down, reaching for the remote. A woman, a singer, was being interviewed. He didn't keep up with the latest songs and styles, and it made him lonely for his youth. Then, on a lark, as if by habit, he stood and reached for his cell phone, which he had muted on the counter. He checked the Facebook, and then the blinking lights announcing new messages on the Messenger app. He sat. It was not a good breakaway from his maps. Tom's concern ratcheted to fear as he read more and more of Shailene's accounts, a horror that transcended the others. He began breathing, almost gasping on the verge of hyperventilating. He clicked the messenger page shut and stood up as if the chair had caught on fire. He couldn't read more. He needs to sleep now, with the condition he's recovering from. In frustration, Tom turned back to the maps, which lay as if begging him to discover a pattern that was elusive in plain sight. The maps on the tables with their yellow and bright pink stickies appeared like feathers sticking to be plucked from a boiled chicken. Again, Tom examined the maps, moving around the periphery as he did one more time. An hour passed, then two. Mentally exhausted, Tom returned to the family room where he found Rita busy reading. He hadn't even noticed that she had entered the room in his, in his uh, absorption. 
He sat next to her on the sofa, took off his glasses, leaned back, and laid his hand next to hers. She reached and covered his hand with her own. In a gesture of affection, he shut his eyes in that. For now, he was where he belonged and hoped he would dream of, of a solution. All right, that's it for today. We're going to continue next Sunday uh, with some more of the book. I hope you guys enjoy it. Nice kind of reprieve from all the holiday celebrating and the heat and everything just to kind of hang out, right? If you like what you saw, uh, let me get over here and uh, get back on screen. Hang on one second. And I just want to add that we have I have permission to read this book from the publisher and the author. I think I can wear my hat now. Let's go back now. Ooh, I was overheated. Okay, that's better. I look like me. Um, I do have permission from the publisher and the author to read the book. And uh, I think it's a pretty good book. It's really a good book, actually. And okay, so uh, again, if you like what you heard, uh, please please leave me some love. Show me some love. Send me some hearts, likes, all that good stuff. If you're over on Facebook and, and uh, YouTube, and if you're over on TikTok, please tap the screen, double tap the screen. If you like what you heard today, I'd really appreciate it. The more likes, the better. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Sorry for the difficulties today. I got overheated. I don't have air conditioning in my main part of my house. And when I came in here, I was really wiped. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming today to listen. I appreciate it. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to be on the air. 6.30 p.m. Pacific, our usual time, with Heather Woodward. We're going to be talking about the Acacia Records. And it's going to be a nice talk about that, you know. What are the Acacia Records? What do they do? How do they apply to us, right? So Heather, our old friend Heather Woodward is going to be joining us. So that's going to be a fun night tomorrow. So that'll be 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For you guys on TikTok, that's over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. All right, guys. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hear the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts, at California Haunts Radio. And we're just trying to get the word out about our show. And uh, that's great. It's great if you can do that for me. Also, I am. I do have an event next Sunday that I'm going to be doing. And that event is for people who uh, want to ghost hunt but really don't want to commit to a ghost hunt team. Um, I We've been ghost hunting almost 20 years here in Northern California. And so I have a pretty good list of easy places to access and easy places to go. So I'm going to share that list with you. And in addition, I'm going to show you and share the evidence that we got at some of those places so you can see what they are. Now I'm talking places like hotels and stuff where people will open their arms to have you come in and, and that sort of thing. And you can have lunch there, maybe stay the night, do your own little ghost hunt and evening, things like that. Okay, with that being said, I'm going to call it a night, and I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening, everyone.